0: You're listening to KCBS In-Depth.
1: People are beginning to wake
0: up to the downside of the tech world yeah. the people places and issues the bay area is talking about we need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets you're giving your time to help others and in the
1: process it helps you as well the more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on people would really be horrified
0: this is KCBS in depth
2: Uh, appropriately socially distanced, but still together.
1: San Jose Mayor Sam Liccardo speaking at a gathering of Santa Clara County civic leaders this past Wednesday, just two days after much of the Bay Area went on coronavirus lockdown.
2: We are here because, of course, we're a valley of great abundance, a valley of great wealth, of talent, of ingenuity but most importantly, a valley of great heart.
1: And this gathering was called to make an earnest appeal to the heart for residents to step up with their volunteer time and their donations.
2: We know at a time like this, when so many are struggling, we need to do more to ensure that all in our community have access to food through this crisis.
1: Desperate times, an urgent call to action, but what can actually be done to answer that call?
2: we are able to pull together and do more together.
1: I'm Keith Mankony. this is KCBS In Depth, and today on the program, we're gonna hear about the profound challenges facing many Bay Area residents as businesses shutter and daily life shuts down, and also about the many ways people are finding to offer help.
2: We are all anxious right now, we're all inconvenienced right now, but for our most vulnerable neighbors, this is really a terrifying time.
1: All that and more coming up on KCBS in depth. Right. I
0: don't know.
1: Has the outbreak impacted your economic well-being at all?
0: Yeah, there's no work right now. Yeah? There's no work.
1: I made a trip out to Sacred Heart Community Service in San Jose to hear from people who depend on the nonprofit's food donations about how the shutdown is affecting them.
0: I try to find work because I usually used to work at the Hundipo Yeah. and the Firma. And right now, like three days already, there's nothing going on and everybody's quitting already right there, yeah. just standing there.
1: There was anxiety about jobs suspended. I'm
3: out for uh, two to four weeks because I work at a bar.
1: And concern over the work opportunities that have dried up.
2: We don't have no work because they closed the company for three weeks and we don't have no money for the rent, food, clothes, whatever, you know. It's hard and right now, I don't know. I'm homeless and it's making it way harder.
1: Isaiah says that's because many of the charitable groups he usually depends on are also shut down right now. Everybody's scared, yeah. so nobody's going out there, you
2: know, so a place like this right now, we a lot of people would be starved without this place.
1: The place he's referring to again would be Sacred Heart, which has managed to remain open. But to do so, they've had to make some big changes in how they operate, like adding extra social distancing and new safety measures for their donations. These are hefty inconveniences, and similar challenges are facing other nonprofits as well. Our objective is to fill up cardboard boxes with a mixture of the different
2: products out there.
1: Among those nonprofits, Second Harvest of Silicon Valley, a massive food bank providing support to hundreds of thousands of people in Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. A couple of things that we're uh, emphasizing uh, in the current
2: COVID-19 work and safety uh, parameters.
1: What you're hearing there is the volunteer orientation that took place before a warehouse food sort Wednesday evening. For this food sort, volunteers were given some extra rules to follow. We're trying to create distance between our volunteers. We even have some squares on the floor that kind of indicate the six-foot spacing. Blue squares of tape on the floor all around the sorting stations, boxing volunteers in so they can maintain a safe distance. They're also taking extra precautions when packing up food donations for those at heightened risk of serious illness from coronavirus. Both of these are needed steps to keep the volunteers and recipients safe. But the logistical changes also mean the sorting process moves a lot slower. And on top of that, there's an even bigger challenge to their work.
3: Our volunteer numbers went way, way, way down.
1: A huge drop in volunteers. Lori Vaughn is a volunteer team leader for Second Harvest.
3: Like when I was here on Monday night, I don't think we had 20 people here. Um, So that's why we have to be here every day almost.
1: With fewer volunteers and a slower system, getting this food sorted is becoming a race against time.
3: You can see we're cutting it close, right? Um, I don't know that anybody wants to cut it that close when you're talking about families being hungry, right?
1: Luckily, the volunteer numbers have gone up again somewhat, and the food distribution process seems to be on track to meet its targets. But as you just heard right there, the stakes of this work right now are as high as they've ever been. So up next on the program we're going to get a broader perspective on what Bay Area nonprofits are up against amid the coronavirus outbreak. For that, I spoke with Second Harvest CEO Leslie Baccio, who oversees this whole operation. Here's that conversation. So you're somebody that has been helping people deal with food insecurity during the best of times. Those same needs are there right now. And we are very much not in the best of times. So how does this current crisis compound the situation that people, many people, were already in?
2: Well, certainly, I mean, we're already serving many people who live paycheck to paycheck. But now many people have no paycheck. And so we anticipate the need is only gonna increase. We also serve many seniors, you know, really the most vulnerable in our population. And so we're very concerned about how to continue to get food to people who are homebound. Again, we already were really having to stretch to try to meet the need. We still weren't meeting the needs of everybody in our community. And now we know that need is just gonna skyrocket.
1: So there's a greater need and there's less ability to serve that need. How do we cope with this? I mean, how 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 close do we can we come to coping with this?
2: Yeah, I mean, right now we are actually hiring temporary workers to help fill in for volunteers. Um, we're still seeking volunteers in the community. We're talking with the National Guard. We're just looking for. Anyways, we can plug in. Another thing we're doing is we're talking to some of our partners who are at risk of having to furlough their employees. And so we're seeing if we can employ them to help get the food out. Because in addition to what we're doing here in our warehouse, at all of our sites, we have the same challenges of volunteers. And we're trying to do things differently, like create drive-through distributions. We're also looking at partnering with people who can help us bring food to people who are homebound. So we're having to really amp up our services. And so everything we're doing just got a whole lot more complicated and a whole lot more expensive.
1: And you said that you have been doing, you know, you've obviously been doing this work for a while. So you saw the 2008 recession crash. How does this compare to what you saw back then? And should we be bracing for something on that scale?
2: Unfortunately, I think so. I mean, after 2008, we saw a huge ramp up in the need for our services. Most food banks increase their distributions you know, by 50% over the next five years. And it feels like right now we're likely to see the same thing because for the people we serve, they don't, they aren't able, they don't have the resources to bounce back as quickly from a mini recession like this. And so, Um, most people don't really have much of a safety net, much of a um, cushion to fall back on. And so when you lose your job, you're in danger of losing your housing. When you um, you can't pay your rent anymore, you don't have enough money for food, kind of everything begins to fall apart. So that's why we're so concerned about very quickly trying to support the most vulnerable in our community.
1: And what kind of response are you seeing? I mean, just you can go through next door. And scroll through a little bit and you will see post after post of people offering their services, offering to pick up groceries for an elderly neighbor or offering to just wanting to do anything for other people in need. So there's obviously a big uh, desire out there to lend a helping hand. What are you seeing in terms of people stepping up right now?
2: We are seeing that the challenge is just how to do that safely. And so um, what we really want individuals to know, we want families to know, we want seniors to know, if you're in need of assistance, call our Food Connection hotline. And what we're doing there is we're trying to get people connected with services near them. We're trying to, for people who are homebound, we are allowing other people to pick up groceries for them. So our first choice is always, um, do you have someone you know who could pick up groceries for you? And then um, we have a limited capacity to do home delivery. We're trying to ramp that up. But um, for folks who are in a high-risk group, who are homebound, um, we are trying to offer that service if we can.
1: I I, I guess just in closing, I'm I'm curious for your thoughts. You know, we've already been talking about the need is bigger, the ability to fill that need is more constrained. Can you give us any sense of the, the the scale of the need that we're going to be up against and how that compares to the scale of our ability to respond? What what, what how, how can we get this into our brains of what really we're looking at right here?
2: Yeah, well, already at Second Harvest, we provide food to a quarter million people every month. And just... Um, just since last July, we have been providing 15% more food. So we were already seeing and serving 17,000 more people. So we were already seeing an increase in need for our services before COVID-19 hit. Now, just like we've been talking about, we know there are gonna be so many more people in need. It's hard to predict what those numbers will be like, but just in the past week alone, we've seen an increase in folks coming to our distributions. And so we're just trying to figure out how we can best shore up our operations, and um, really get in a position to be able to scale to meet this increased need. But it is quite um, intimidating because, as I described, business is getting uh, harder. It's not just business as usual. So we are working overtime to ensure we can try to um, get more food out into the community.
1: And anything else that you would want people to have in mind as they're thinking about how they can be helping right now, whether it's Second Harvest or elsewhere? Anything that you think people should know?
2: I just want people to think about, we are all anxious right now. We're all inconvenienced right now. But for our most vulnerable neighbors, this is really a terrifying time. So just thinking about what you can do to support your local nonprofit, what you can do to help Um, us get more food out into the community. Here at Second Harvest, we're encouraging folks to go to our website and see how they can plug in to help, either by making a financial donation or volunteering.
1: Perfect. Uh, Leslie Baccio, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, how Bay Area residents can help and are helping their neighbors during the coronavirus lockdown. Up next, what can be done to protect one of the Bay Area's most vulnerable populations, the homeless? Vulnerable because, as advocates point out, many unhoused individuals already face serious health challenges. Those risks were highlighted this past week with the news of the death of a homeless man from coronavirus in Santa Clara County. It's a development that's spreading fear for some. It does. That's Ruth Hernandez, who lives in a San Jose homeless encampment.
3: Before, I felt like we were um, safer out here, thinking because we're out and, you know, out and about and we're not enclosed. But now that there's a homeless person that's sick, yeah, it brings a lot, of, you know, a lot of scary thoughts into your mind.
1: The homeless man's death, first reported Monday, is also a major source of concern for homeless advocates, like longtime advocate Pastor Scott Wagers. If this is broken out in these camps with the kind of conditions they're living under, <laughs> you don't have to be a CDC official to tell you the outcome of some of this. In, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything this serious. And certainly, talking about my friends that are out here, they are vulnerable. And they I know they already have preconditions, and I've seen them struggle with their health mightily. Now, it's true, state and county officials are taking a number of steps to protect the homeless from coronavirus. In fact, this past week Governor Newsom announced a plan to spend $150 million to boost shelter capacity and emergency housing. At the same time, Bay Area counties are also working to conduct outreach to the homeless and provide more hygiene supplies. But given the scale of this challenge, Wager says he's worried authorities aren't moving fast enough. They say the right things, but you've got to walk the talk. You've got to take the action. Yeah. You've got to make things happen. If you have... The, again the mandate to open buildings open the buildings get it done because every day this spreads out here <laughs> who knows what that will mean we'll see but before the curve flattens out take you know take the steps make the move so there's the big question is enough being done and if not how can we ramp up this effort for some answers we're going to hear next from jennifer friedenbach she's the executive director of the san francisco-based advocacy group the coalition on homelessness starting off the conversation, she says she agrees with wagers the current effort is not sufficient
0: well no I, I mean I think that I think that lots of people are trying really really hard um, but no it's absolutely not not meeting the need at this point I mean it's you know we'd like to see some you know commandeering of empty we have all these empty hotel rooms here I think you know we need thousands of of hotel rooms to put people in, like 9,000. There needs to be some executive orders that kind of step it up and maybe maybe in normal times would seem seem maybe too radical. But right now that's exactly what needs to happen. And so, you know, you also have an issue in all these different, you know, forms of city government where, you know, just because a decision is made doesn't mean that it's implemented right away. I mean, you, you release the money and then you have to go through – um, you know, channels to get those resources out to people because, you know, people are working at, at at breakneck speed, um and then and then hit you know, and then you hit a wall, hit a wall, hit a wall. So I think that's that's part of why, you know, we need to also have community developing mutual aid networks and really stepping up. Um we need private hotels to be coming forward and Offering floors of um, of rooms. I mean, you have, you know, whether someone's unhoused or housed, we're going to need space to put people in, right? You know, someone's in a household with a, a very vulnerable family member um, that's elderly, and someone gets sick in the house. You got to get them out of there. You know, we have overcrowded conditions in the South Bay in San Francisco, et cetera. Really difficult living situations for people. You know, these are this is where things get really they they get really challenging. So folks, you know I mean there there's a there's a tremendous more amount of need that we're going to see happening here that's going to take some some very aggressive action
1: hmm. And I suppose just to address maybe the thoughts of some of our listeners, the the thought being that you know, this maybe doesn't affect me that much. Uh, I, I have already taken care of myself. I'm socially distancing myself. I'm doing my part. not not to put it in such a utilitarian frame, but, uh, I mean, it, it's simply the case that the the social isolation is only as strong as its weakest link. And so homeless folks are a part of our society as well. And if they're not taken care of, that is going to have ramifications for the rest of society, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think all of us need to move away from an individualistic framework to a collective framework. I mean, it's, um, this isn't about you right now. And uh, this is about all of us and working together collectively to, to, to keep the spread from, from happening. And that's why we part of being responsible in, in socially isolating is making sure that people who aren't able to socially isolate are able to now San Francisco we have about 40,000 people who can't socially they cannot socially isolate and many of them are high risk. And so we have people living in shelters, people on the streets but we also have people living in residential hotels with shared bathrooms. We have people who are in, Um, um, boarding care facilities, people are in hospitals, people are incarcerated. So this is, um, it's large numbers of people and um, if you have large numbers of people that can't self-isolate, then that puts puts everyone at risk of more people getting sick at the same time, and then our medical system shutting down because, or being overwhelmed and not able to serve everyone who needs it, whether it's somebody who has a heart attack or, you know, someone who's got the virus and they don't have enough ventilators. So this is really about slowing down the spread. And so these are, this is why these steps need to be taken now.
1: All right. So just to close things out, if you could share your thoughts on what individuals out there because there are a lot of individuals who do want to step up and lend a helping hand in this time for folks that are concerned about homeless the homeless population in particular and want to help uh, what is your advice to them what can they do
0: Yeah I mean I think I think one of the things that's happening across the country is is that people are starting Um, usually on Slack, actually, Slack channels where you end up um, creating mutual aid networks. And so um, sharing information, sharing resources, and then coordinating how to get them out there. And um, that's something that people can do. They can, um, you know, start making bag lunches, getting those out to folks. They can um, uh, can also, you know, through the... You know, there might be other resources that people have to share, you know, um, they're making um, hand sanitizer at home, um, putting them in containers, and then, um, and then getting them out to folks. And so there's a whole bunch of ways to do that safely, whether it's, you know, creating a box and then putting out on Slack, you know, we're going to have containers on the sidewalk at this address, you know, um, each box has 10 hand sanitizers, and, you know, and then there's like a geographic area on the box. And then you go you go on your bike or your foot and then give it out to folks, for example. So, you know, there's, there's all these little things that people are so creative and they can come up with all these cool ways to distribute. Um, we all have to kind of think out of the box right now. And we all, many of us have a little bit of time on our hands. Um, <laughs> and so um, we're home with the kids and trying to, you know, keep them engaged. And I think that it's going to be... The government is working really, really hard, and we need to augment those efforts as active members of this democracy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, just the bottom line is for anybody who ever thought of carrying a, you know, a few extra bologna sandwiches and water in their car and uh, never actually got around to doing that, now is the time to actually follow through on that.
0: Water is huge. You know, there's some hand washing stations, but that's, that's, that's a challenge for people.
1: Oh, water just, just for the sake of having uh, being able to use soap and water to wash your hands?
0: Exactly. So you can wash your wow. hands. Yeah, not just even drinking, but that's, that's an issue too, of course. But wow. yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, a lot to think about and a call to action right there. We have been speaking to Jennifer Friedenbach, the executive director on the Coalition on Homelessness. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you. One last time, I want to remind listeners you are listening to KCBS In Depth. Today, a look at how Bay Area residents are standing up to help out one another in the face of the unprecedented challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. Up next, well, there is one challenge that's facing just about everyone forced to stay at home by the shelter in place orders, and that would be isolation and boredom. You know, you can't go out, can't see friends, Most hobbies are a no-go at this point. But even here, you can still find many examples of residents offering help. Over the past week, the performing arts community has brought the show online. Just click around a bit and you'll find local artists streaming all kinds of performances, from stand-up to musical acts. There was even a mime troupe that, for the first time in their history agreed to have their show videotaped and streamed online as well. I called up one of these artists to find out why she decided to make her online offering. In this case, though, that offering wasn't a performance, but instead, a lesson.
3: All right, guys. So, (laughs) it's about time to get started.
1: That's Dahlia Rossin, who directs New Ballet in San Jose.
3: So, yeah, again, if you're getting any error messages... Hit refresh, and it should take care of itself. Wow, there are 83 people here.
1: She made the decision to bring her school's ballet lessons online after Don't the lockdown, be, uh, and they're now out there for free to anyone who feels like a plie or a chasse might brighten up their mood. Push on the floor, yeah?
3: Push on the floor. Yeah, articulate your feet.
1: Now, Rawson says this classical ballet group usually practices in San Jose's stately Corinthian ballroom building.
3: Which is an iconic uh, historic building with beautiful marble columns.
1: But for this lesson, she may do with a somewhat more humble venue.
3: I flipped a dining room chair around. Um, the background was my living room couch. And I invited people into my home to do some ballet with me. Let's Tommy Fifth, Tommy Fifth, Tommy 5th fifth. could okay, and change. One- Back and front
1: and back. New Ballet offered a number of these free lessons throughout the week. In fact, when I spoke with Rawson, another online lesson was underway. This time, it was being led by their school's director, Lee Mai Lin.
3: Really an internationally renowned coach um, of classical ballet. He's teaching right now live from his uh, dining room, it looks like. So, you know, it's not, um, we're not proud right now. This is, this is the time where we all, we're all at home. We're all doing what we can do. And this is a way we can connect with each other. Um, I'm happy to do a class in my living room. And uh, my students are doing classes in their living rooms as well.
1: So why take the time to move back the sofa and push back the coffee table? Well, Rossin explains, for dancers, the daily practice routine is about more than keeping up your technique.
3: It's a daily ritual. Um, it's a way to tune into your own body, to tune into your own artistry, um, to almost commune with your fellow dancers and with music. It's a very uh, centering practice. I don't know. There's something about dancing as a group, dancing together. Even when we're not together in the same place, the fact that we're together at the same moment um, with the same music uh, and the same same choreography is is a way to to be together.
1: All the way back. The coupe front hundreds tuned in for the lessons this past week and if you've got the floor space for a pirouette you can take part two Rawson says she's continuing these free online lessons until the lockdown ends
3: it was a it was a real moment of coming together and um, it was very special and we'll, we're gonna keep doing it
1: yeah. I' finished. You can learn more at newballet.com slash live. And it is in that
3: spirit that I'm gonna be really asking everybody who's listening to ask the same question.
0: I want to encourage people to go to SiliconValley.org and sign up.
1: We started this program with a call to action from Santa Clara County civic leaders. And as we've heard, that call is being answered in big ways and small. Whether it's the hundreds of residents who took to next door to offer to pick up groceries for their elderly neighbors, or the volunteers still making it out to nonprofits to fill desperate needs.
3: It's like I could stay at home and read a book. You know, of course, that's something I'd love to do.
1: There again is Lori Vaughn, the Second Harvest volunteer we heard from earlier. But she isn't staying home right now, and there's a simple reason why.
3: Because I know people are going to go hungry if we don't do it, and, and that's, well, I can't really live with that, so, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And that right now is reason enough. This side of the table, and also, um, Darius, I should have told you this, that just box in the center. This has been another edition of KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Be well.